Every one of us has experienced uh, protection by being covered by something. An uh, umbrella will cover you from the rain. A, a jacket will uh, cover you and, and, and keep you warm. Uh, a, a tent, if you are camping, will protect you from the elements and perhaps any critters that might be outside trying to uh, get into your tent. Uh, all of us have, in some sort of way, insurance coverage in order to protect our, our assets. Uh, soldiers will, 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 will get uh, up in their battle dress uniforms and uh, people that are on SWAT teams will get all geared up with their, with their gear and their weapons to go in and protect themselves when they go to fight against an enemy. Firefighters uh, are known for very quickly uh, getting their bunker gear on in order to protect themselves as they go into a, a fire. So we are all familiar with different ways in which we are covered in order to be protected. And uh, as important as those coverings are, at Good Friday, we want to look at the most important covering that anyone can ever have. It's the most important covering uh, in the history of the world, one that covers our sin and protects us from the judgment of God, and hence eternal uh, separation from God. And that covering is rooted in a historical event that happened uh, about 3,500 years ago. In Exodus chapter 12, the situation, 11 and 12, the situation was really not good for God's people. They were harshly enslaved by Egypt with, with very little hope of, of having their, their, uh, their situation reversed. They had no weapons. And even if they did, any attempt at revolt would be met with very severe consequences. Uh, their attempts at di diplomacy only resulted in more harsh treatment. They were treated worse when they asked to get some information on what was happening. The only hope that they had was in uh, this God that they, they really didn't know very well. This was the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and, and, and Jacob. And this God had sent a man named Moses to Pharaoh. Uh, to warn him that if he did not release, freely release the Israelites, then he was going to bring uh, plagues upon the nation of Egypt. And of little surprise, Pharaoh wouldn't listen. And so one by one, God laid out these plagues against Egypt. There was the Nile turning to, uh, to blood. He flooded the land with frogs and gnats and, and flies and livestock died. There was pestilence and boils and, and hail and locusts. And there was even pure darkness across the land. Yet still, Pharaoh kept his tight grip on, the, uh, on enslaving God's people. Now in Exodus 11, God lays out the plans for a plague against Pharaoh that would end all plagues. Look what it says here, starting in verse 4. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl so that you may know 
that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So in other words, God is planning to show up at midnight, uh, and when he does, there is going to be a lot of death that happens. It was a just action. God's judgment was against Egypt for the many times in which they they disobeyed the Lord and, uh, and they had sinned against God and his people. But it's not as if Israel was, was any better. They were just as sinful. Uh, they had about 400 years of forgetting who this God uh, was. The Egyptian pantheon was way more familiar to them than Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it isn't as if they're going to be let off the hook. Their sin had to be dealt with, but God would see to it that they would be covered, that they would be protected and saved. So now in chapter 12 of Exodus, the Lord tells, uh, tells us how uh, this would happen, starting in verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, they must select an animal of the flock according to their father's families. One animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest to his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to, uh, according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, uh, a male. You may uh, take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. So in order to protect the Israelite families from, the, from this impending uh, death, they had to have a substitute death. A sheep or a goat, didn't really matter which one it was. Each household was to uh, acquire one of these, slaughter it uh, that night, and then take a hyssop branch and wipe the blood on both the sides of the door and over the top of the door. That way, when the angel of the Lord showed up that night to wreak the havoc that he would, he would see on the doors that there indeed was a, a death that happened already in that family. And in that way, he will pass over that family. They're covered. They're protected. They are saved from death by this sacrifice. It may have sounded completely crazy to them. But they had to have faith that this was the means by which God was going to do this. So now why are we talking about this tonight? It's because this story in the Exodus has everything to do with Good Friday. The Bible consistently witnesses to the fact that you and I are exactly like the Israelites. We are born into slavery, but our sense of slavery is far more worse than being enslaved to any political entity. 
Our source of slavery has brought way more death than any form of slavery ever in the history of, of humankind. It, it, uh, and the sad part about it is, is that we don't even realize uh, that we are enslavement because it is both natural to us and it is also by our choice. The Bible tells us that we are slaves to sin. And this is serious because Ezekiel tells us that the soul that sins shall die. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. Though physical death will be the reality for all of us, these verses aren't just talking about physical death. It's talking about eternal death. Eternity separated from God. And it was on Good Friday that this scene in Egypt is ultimately fulfilled. So whereas the blood of the lamb on the doorposts in Exodus covered and protected the families of Israel from having their firstborn killed on that night, the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross covered, uh, covers us from our sin of all who trust in him. It is no coincidence that when John the Baptist shows up on the scene, and in uh, John chapter 1, verse 29, he sees Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It is this Jesus that would be the sacrificial Lamb whose blood would cover his people from eternal death. About 700 years after the Exodus, there was a prophet named Isaiah that said this about Jesus in chapter 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shears. He did not open his mouth. When we read the scene of the crucifixion in the gospel accounts, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to read about what Jesus went through. But Isaiah goes on to tell us why this is so important for you and for me. Starting in verse uh, 5. But he, parentheses, you can say Jesus. But Jesus was pierced because of our rebellion. Crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way. The Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Verse 8. He was taken away because of the oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. Verse 10. Yet the Lord... <laughs> Get this, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. 
this is the story of Good Friday. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. We who have sinned and we who have rebelled against God can be freed of this bondage to sin and the judgment that is demanded of it when we're covered by the blood of Jesus. And this covering happens to us when we trust in Jesus, when we have faith in Christ. And it's easy at this point to uh, uh, ask, well, what does this kind of faith look like? And I can see how easy it would be to be discouraged to say, do I have enough faith? Is my faith good enough? And on that, I want to introduce you to a theologian named D.A. Carson, who has perhaps the greatest illustration that I have seen or heard on this question. So, Jim, if you want to roll that. Picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown, remarkably Jewish names. <laughs> the day before the first Passover, having a little discussion in the land of Goshen. And Smith says to Brown, boy, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? Brown says, well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the, the lamb and daubed the two doorposts with blood, put blood on the lintel? Haven't you, you done that? You're all ready and packed to go? You're going to eat the, the whole Passover meal with your family? Well, of course I've done that. I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary. When you think of all the things that have happened around here recently, you know, flies and river turning to blood and it's pretty awful and 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 now there's a threat of the firstborn being killed you know it's all right for you you got three sons I've only got one and I love my Charlie and 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 and, and the angel of death is passing through tonight you, you, you know I, I know what, what God says and I put the blood there but but it's pretty scary I'll be glad when this night is over and the other one responds bring it on I trust the promises of God. That night, the angel of death swept through the land. Which one lost his son? And the answer, of course, is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised. But on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. The blood silences the accuser of the brothers as he accuses us before God. He silences our consciences when he accuses us directly. How many times do we writhe in agony asking if God can ever love us enough, if God can ever care for us enough after we've done such stupid, sinful, rebellious things, after being Christians for 40 years? What are you going to say? Well, you know, God, I, I tried hard, you know. I did, I did my best. It was, a, it was a bad moment. No, 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 no. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. 
we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. There is the ground of all human assurance before God. There is the ground of our faith, not guaranteeing intensity of faith, so fickle are we. It's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. They overcome him on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. But if you're here tonight and you've never been covered or you've never been protected by the blood of the Lamb, I want to invite you to receive him here and now. And if that's you, let someone know. Dave and I will be here also if you came with maybe a family or a friend. Um, they would rejoice to know that you have received Jesus. And so we want to rejoice with you and pray for you and to get started in your life with Christ. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll sing one more song together. Father, I, I, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not been covered by your blood, that your spirit would be piercing their heart right now, God, and that they would cry out to you, Lord, save me. Lord, I now see what it is that you did for me on the cross and how it applies to me personally. And so, Father, I ask that you would save them. And Lord, I also pray for those who are here tonight that may have a lack of assurance in their heart because they, they may not feel that their, their, their faith is strong enough that they would look and see that the blood of Jesus is strong enough. That the blood of Jesus is enough. And that it's not the amount or the intensity of our faith, but it is the object of our faith. And so, Father, would we leave from this place as we will here in a few moments? Would we do so in assurance, knowing that you not only died, but also three days later, you rose victorious to show, Lord, that you are good on your word. And so, Lord, it is with that that we thank you. It is with that that we praise you and give you glory here tonight. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.